0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Lou Perez podcast. My name is Lou Perez. If you'd like to support my work, please head over to thelouperez.locals.com and join the Lou Perez community. You'll get to listen to my podcasts and watch my sketch comedy videos before I release them to the rest of the world. have access to exclusive content for members only. And if you're looking for another way you can support me, you can do so by supporting my sponsors, Black Organic Cold Brew. Just head over to www.blvckbrew.com and use promo code Lou for free shipping. And if you're into CBD products, please check out Paloma Verde CBD. Head over to palomaverdecbd.com and use promo code Lou for 25% off purchases over $75. All right, here we go. I'm joined by a writer, a politician, an activist, and a good friend of mine, Carla Garrick. Carla, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Lou. I'm so excited that we get to do this.
0: I know, and and uh, you know, I'm just warning you and warning everybody who's listening. It's been a while since I've uh, done one of these. Um, I, I had my uh, podcast on hiatus for a few months while I was working on uh, on my book. So if at any point you know you start saying to yourself, "Wow, it's, I think Lou forgot how to talk to people." Uh, you, you understand that it comes from, uh, uh, me not exercising the muscle, uh, over over the period of the last few months. But one thing that I have to say, just having known you for so long is, uh, one of the great things is, uh, I could always just kind of sit back and let you roll because you have, you always have something to talk about and you've lived a pretty extraordinary life and continue to live it. And, um, uh, before we get to your, uh, uh, your roots, I guess. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about just how how you and I met, um, because uh, we both met in graduate school. So all so everyone has been tuning in and they're like, like, wow, this guy Lou, I had no idea he was so educated. He has a master of fine arts from City College, and that's where Carl and I both met.
1: So, <laughs> a true story yes um i guess you know master they're gonna have to change that one too right because i guess you're not allowed to say uh master bedroom anymore you have to say main bedroom or owner bedroom which i'm not sure how that's really better but uh so we will just say that we have we have a we have a graduate degree together from city college you know yeah
0: and uh yeah for, for those of you uh who don't know what uh what goes into uh you know, getting a graduate's degree, at least in, in, when it came to creative writing um, we had to take classes in literature. And then also, I guess the most fun and the most rewarding classes were, uh, were workshops. And they were, they, the one thing that was a lot of fun about those is for some of them, if you were workshopping your story that week, you were allowed to bring in wine.
1: <laughs> and, uh,
0: I remember, I remember Forget whose class it was exactly, but we were workshopping my story and I I ended up drinking just so much wine. I guess I was so nervous about what everyone would think of my story uh, that by the end of it, I was, uh, I was drunk. So, uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, 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 I was pretty much drunk throughout graduate school too, and then drunk throughout maybe my first time here in New Hampshire and drunk until about 20... When did I quit drinking? Twenty twenty seven, maybe. So uh, <laughs> that <laughs> that makes 2027. sense. Twenty oh. twenty uh seventeen. Twenty
0: seventeen. Yeah. 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 Because that would be something if right here you were setting a goal. You're like, look, I got around six more years, and then <laughs> uh, and then I'm through. Well, uh, well, Fortna, how, how what how did you get uh, to to City College? Because you've been all over the world. So, for people who don't know, you're you're originally from uh, South Africa. And somehow you ended up in New York and at City College and then later in life in New Hampshire. So uh, how did that start?
1: Sure. So uh, Eric Brakey, who is a senator from Maine, who works for Young Americans for Liberty, called me the most interesting woman in the world the other day. So I will try and condense this story for you. But (laughs) the long and the short of it is, yes, I grew up in South Africa, although I did grow up all over the the world because my dad actually was in the Foreign Service. So I did live in the States when I was little and in Sweden and a bunch of other places. And uh, when I was in law school in South Africa, and this was like in the mid to, well, late 80s into the early 90s, uh, my parents actually wrote me in for a green card in the green card lottery, which for folks who don't know is this diversity lottery that the American government does, for countries that have a traditional low immigration to America. And my folks were visiting my sister who had immigrated here and they were like, hey, do you wanna be entered into this green card lottery? And I had no idea what they were talking about. I thought they were crazy. I was like, sure, crazy parents, go ahead, do that. And lo and behold, I want a green card. So uh, I was in law school at the time. I, my then boyfriend, now husband, you know, we were kind of like, you know, and I was like, look, dude, I'm moving. I'm going to America. It's the best place on earth. And I want to go check this out. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. He was like, well, I love you. So I guess I'm coming with, we snuck off, we got married in secret. Then we, then we had like a proper wedding later. Uh, immigrated to the States in the mid nineties, hit the dot-com bubble, Uh, you know, that was great because, you know, we came to America, we went to Silicon Valley. Louis, my husband is a techie and I was a lawyer and I didn't want to go back to law school. I just wanted to take the bar exam, which I will just say I passed, unlike Kim Kardashian, the first time. Apparently she passed the baby bar on her fourth attempt this week so well done kim
0: well let's just talk a little bit about uh, a little bit about that for one I'm, I'm i i hope that this is the first podcast where you're actually starting some shit with kim kardashian <laughs> where it's official you're, you're putting it out there uh,
1: wh- uh which, deal which, with kim kardashian all i want her to do for me is to free ross ulbricht
0: right we could talk about uh ross too and a little bit what, what's the baby bar what is that
1: I have no idea. I saw that on Twitter and I just thought it was funny. I, I actually made a note where I was like, I wonder what the baby bar is. I guess, you know, it's it's devolved so much since my days that maybe they do an easier version first for the people who have to take the easy one four times before they can take the main one. It could have been the bar review, like there's Barbary, which is, a course, you can take. So maybe she took that just as, you know, like your test before you take the real test I have no idea. I really have no beef with Kim. So, you know, I'm just joking. I'm trying to work at the jokes here, Lou. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, with, a, I mean, that's pretty amazing that, you know, you, you took the bar once and then, and, and passed it. What, uh, for, well, I have a bunch of friends who are lawyers. Um, well, the one, the one wish my father had for me was that I would, that I would go to law school. Um, and, uh, I did not, do that. I, I mean, I might still have time. I mean, he's still around, um, and you know, maybe he's like, "Oh, my my forty year old something uh, son uh, has eventually, you know, passed the uh, has gone to law school and and passed the bar." Maybe
1: you could just take the baby bar too.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like that would be cuter. I feel like uh, you know, <laughs> who I have, does
1: not want to walk around saying, Hey, I passed the baby bar.
0: <laughs> it, yeah, it sounds like a like a, kind of a shitty sequel to Boss Baby.
1: You know?
0: The <laughs> like third one, it's like, Oh, the baby bar. And it's like all these, it, it's like all the, it, I wonder if it would be like sort of like all of these, uh, uh either orphans, or kids who are trying to get out of their, uh, relationships with their parents and no lawyer will take it on. But then this baby, uh, a baby lawyer will take it on. I don't know.
1: And and maybe like the baby lawyer can also be a bartender, and somehow we can work in some kind of mini bar bar into the mini bar exam. I don't know. I think we should get out of this one.
0: We're in trouble. Yeah, there's there's way too many layers. We can go down a really deep black hole, uh, (laughs) right there. Um, But okay, so you you pass the bar. It's the uh, dot com uh, bubble. Um, uh, Louis, I guess uh, he works in in tech, um, programming.
1: Yeah, so I mean, he worked. Uh, his his background is an electronic engineer. So he actually worked. His original company was Unifase, and they were making like wafers and nerdy stuff that he has patents on. And then we actually kind of cycled up both of us into that whole dot com money created frothy a uh, startup environment. So Louis actually was in a startup. Uh, he raised, I think it was over 7 million VC funding in like 1999, they were on the front page of like Business Week. Like, you know, it was very, very, very frothy uh, back then. And um, And I actually left a really safe job at Logitech, you know, which is a great company. Everyone listening to this probably has a Logitech mouse or camera or something in their houses. To go to a startup called Scient Corporation, and uh, yeah, we, uh, you know, I had to lay off uh, over a thousand people, including myself. So,
0: <laughs> fun time. Wow. Yeah. Did
1: you, how
0: did that? And how did that work? Was it a, a personal, like you know, bringing everyone in, or did you, you know, have a gym, a gymnasium full of people, and you're like, sorry. Uh,
1: Funny you should ask. So, you know, because I was a lawyer and I was working in-house, we had the lawyer teams working working with HR, and it was a sort of open secret at that stage. I mean, everything in Silicon Valley and in San Francisco was definitely starting to go sort of pear-shaped, and, you know, there were layoffs all over the place and all of that, and... Uh, I was actually sitting in a meeting once where we were in a conference room, and there were probably six lawyers in the room. And they were talking about dividing people, Um, you would either be on list A or list B, uh, depending on whether you were going to get fired or whether you still had a job. And they were going to... uh, Uh, You know, and they were like, so we're going to call these people out or we're going to separate them into these separate rooms. And then and as we were saying that there must have been a malfunction with the um, with the air conditioner. And the next second, this like gas like stream of uh steam i guess started spraying into the room and i was like oh my god people are gonna think we're sending them to the gas chambers Holy shit. it was very creepy but yeah it was it was rough you know the silicon valley uh you know everyone took a big hit in in 2001 ish and Frankly, Louie and I were like, you know, we've got some savings. Why don't we just put everything in storage? And we ended up backpacking on a budget of like 15 bucks a day through Southeast Asia, India, South Africa. We went back home for a while and um, just really traveled the world. And I would say it was during that period and predominantly because I was curious about what had happened. You know, we went from getting massages at our desks to uh, to having to lay people off in this rather questionable way. So I started really reading about economics and, and uh, monetary policy and monetary bubbles and all that sexy, sexy stuff and, uh, and found the Free State Project. And so decided we were going to go back to New York City for a while. That's where you and I met at City College. And then once I graduated in 2008, uh, we moved to New Hampshire as part of the free State project
0: mm-hmm. yeah when you when you talk about that that bubble, um, th- there's something that that happens where I think where things are are going so well, especially when it comes to having money coming in, where it could be very easy not to even imagine that it goes away one day. And um I was so uh, Michelle and I we kind of were kind of in a in a situation like that in in 2020 where we were in my uh, we were in our uh, our Brooklyn apartment and we were looking to uh you know to get a bigger place and it seemed like the gods had given us this gift where uh, a penthouse apartment in our building had opened up nice. and, and when I say penthouse it's it's not like you know, what do you think about like 1980s Gordon Gecko kind of, stuff? You know, it's just on the top floor, you know, it's like a top floor, this, you know, this, <laughs> this place opens up and it's like, Whoa, uh, this is amazing. Maybe we can, we can do this. Uh, so um, with the help of, of uh, my, uh, my parents we were able to put uh, we were able to get the apartment and the idea was, okay, we get the apartment. We do our renovation on the apartment, then we move into that apartment, and then we sell the bottom apartment. This is going to be great. This is going to be fantastic. Um, then uh, let's see, um, the pandemic happens, mm-hmm. right? Which kind of uh, kind of shuts things down on that front a little bit, uh, and a little bit. And then uh, the co-op board, uh, who, if you guys are ever in a co-op, uh, everything you do has to go through the co-op board. Um, they originally said that they were open to this particular renovation that, that we were going to do, which was uh, involved moving the kitchen from this one side of the wall to the other side of the wall. And they basically waited around six months before telling us, no, uh, we're not going to allow mm-hmm. you to do that. So if that doesn't go through, then it's like, well, there's no reason to move up there because you can't, we don't have the configuration that we would need. And then, of course, I lose my job. Right. So then it's sort of so then it's like it's like, wait a minute, things were going so well. Like we had this all planned out. We had this all figured out. And now suddenly, uh, you know, the everything is just sort of crashing in on us and we're not I'm not necessarily prepared for it. Uh, you know, I might be able to, uh, you know, get by uh, and, you know, with savings and that sort of thing and being able to pay things off. But even but just like the, uh, you know. Uh, mentally being able to deal with that and to deal with a world where basically all these different facets of it, where i have no control you know i can't i can't fix the co-op board to you know to to do what i say i can't sell these apartments fast enough i can't do any of this i'm just sort of, and it's such a re- it's a really really scary position uh to be in and you know i i, I bring that up because um uh, getting to know uh, you know your friends and and you guys up in in New Hampshire, you are definitely the kind of people who are kind of ready for shit not to work out, and it's like okay, we're gonna need to take care of ourselves because there's no um, there's no guarantee that things are going to be wonderful for the rest of our for the rest of our lives, and that's that's what I found you know hanging with you guys up in New Hampshire.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, proper preparation prevents poor performance, as my grandmother liked to tell me at least once every day growing up. Um, You know, we are prepared, but certainly for me, my personal journey was sort of, you know, someone asked me the other day, well, you know, sort of how did you come about these anti-establishment or anti-state ideas? And I was like, well, I definitely was always a rebel. And, you know, growing up in apartheid South Africa will pretty much give you a bad taste in your mouth, you know? So, uh, so I sort of grew up with the anti-authoritarian vibe. But honestly, part of my turning point—and this will sound funny—was like the whole Y2K nonsense, because that was like my first real own project that I owned at the companies I was working for. And you know, I started as a as a part-time temp working for Wilson Sancini, working in a work you know warehouse, just reading contracts. To, you know, working for Apple, uh, worked on Steve Jobs' deal when he came back with Next, you know, so I worked for like real companies, but for all of them somehow, and I guess it was because I was the youngest person and, you know, crap rolls downhill, I was in charge of the Y2K programs. And I remember when everyone was telling me and I was going to all these conferences and they were like, the world's gonna end. Oh my God, every computer, airplanes are gonna drop from the planes. Like this mass, mass hysteria. And I just remember being like, I don't think that's the case, but all right, I'll write up some white papers for you guys. And, And sure, there was a little bit of coding they had to do to change things, but it really wasn't this, this, what they were selling, right? Like the world is going to end. So that was sort of the first crisis. Then when the um, when the dot com bubble burst, and I had to look at the economic re- reasons for that. And then, of course, in two thousand and eight, with the housing crisis. So honestly, at this stage, you know, and I am, you know, I've earned the gray hair at this stage. But you know, I look at the younger people in the free state community, and I think that they are probably a little more stressed than I am because it's maybe their first or their second crisis. But for me, I'm just like, you know, the government kind of likes to do this once a decade. They're managing to level up every time. There's more and more and more and more and more and more control. And now we're probably looking at Honestly, like a global population control program. That's what I believe these Vax passports are. So I'm really glad that I'm in New Hampshire. I'm with the community. I can feed myself. I could probably feed some other people. We are prepared. I'm not a doom and gloomer. I'm a very optimistic person. So I'm hopeful that it doesn't come to that. But at this stage, you know, I feel like I'm betting pretty strong. To be like, eh, things are not trending towards freedom. Things are certainly trending more towards, I don't know, global totalitarianism.
0: Well, something that that I found uh, when we were in Brooklyn, especially during um, during the pandemic and during you know during the lockdowns, um, one of our saving graces was about a month before our oldest son was born, we got a car, and. The, you know, the car has, you know, for, for as long as it's existed in the United States, it's been a symbol of freedom. And for us, it really was because uh, we didn't want to be riding on the subway. I mean, even if and I wonder if, if there was a time, too, when the subways were, were shut down. I'm trying to remember back what that was like, but um, we didn't want to be on it. And we didn't want to be at the mercy of whatever, you know, public transport was available to us and having that car just gave us the ability of just hopping in and getting the hell out anytime that we wanted. And, uh, it was, it was, it, it, it was just, you know, w- when it comes to people writing think pieces and op-eds and stuff, there's, you know, there, there's no limit to the bullshit that people will just find, you know, 700 words to write about. And I remember just seeing so many pieces about, uh, you know, you should get rid of your cars, cars aren't good, you know, citing the environmental stuff, but also citing like, Hey, we're all in this together. And if we're, and if we're in this together, then some people having cars is just not a good idea. And it's, uh, uh there's no way we're going to bring back the subway if people have cars. And it's like, uh, it, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the psychology is there. The mentality of, wait, you want to force me to stay near you when I, you know, I just want to get the hell away from you. And then, you know, eventually we, uh, in, in April of, of this year, we made the move and got the hell away from, from the city. And we have a house and trees and a yard and way too many leaves, way <laughs> too many leaves, man. Oh my God.
1: I I will tell you, yeah, the leaves will get you. We, we're, we're still, the snow hasn't come yet. And and I have one more raking to do before the big snow.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, I never, uh, I always thought of myself as a, as a city person and wanted wanting to be a city person. Uh, but, you know, ultimately it's like, no, the more, uh, the more options you have as far as how you want to live your life, uh, you know, the better off you're going to be. And it's definitely helped me my psychologically, too, because I was going a little nuts.
1: I was yeah, little I'm, I'm really glad I wasn't in the city anymore, you know. And, and And part of what city living is, and of course, you know, things change. Young people have a different appetite for what they want. So, you know, I understand it's sort of a spectrum and that different people can be into different things at different times. But, you know, I mean, really what I see the city living is for is like, is, is the social life, right? Like going to the theater, going to bars, going to shows, going outside, doing, uh, you know, walking in the city, really like experiencing that. And so if you're in a, a, you know, dystopian nightmare where none of that is available to you, then it's like, well, you know, if I'm going to be sitting in a basement somewhere, I'd rather sit in a basement somewhere where actually I could go out in the yard and rake some leaves if I need to, you know. So so it's all trade-offs, but I'm really, really glad I left the city. Um, we left in 2008 in a blizzard. And I just want to mention, because maybe someone doesn't actually know what the Free State Project yeah, is. Yeah, because- uh, but the Free State Project is a movement of uh, libertarians and liberty lovers and caps. You know, we're we're big tent. So basically, if your your values are liberty forward, which to me means actually just people who embrace other people living their authentic selves as much as you want to live your authentic self right so no PC-ness. you take people as they are and uh, and property rights of course so so you know we're a movement of people who are concentrating in the state of new hampshire new hampshire was chosen because it's awesome but it was also ch- chosen because it's you know a low tax state Really great quality of living, uh, good public schools. Still great quality of life. Four seasons. You know, we have lakes, we have rural, we have city, we have all of it. And so we've been moving here uh, in in droves, uh, thousands over the past uh, eighteen or so years. We saw a really big jump in two thousand and eight when when I came. Uh, we called that the first one thousand movers, and that was primarily, you know, a wave. I think that were inspired by Ron Paul and sort of. You know sound money and like nerdy stuff and then we're seeing a massive of course logically huge wave coming in now and that is i think the next group of people who are really looking for solutions right so i think a lot of people have been very frustrated uh, about what happened over the past couple of years and you can sit around and you can complain about it, you could start a podcast and yell about it, or you can come do something, right? And so for us, we're very solutions-based, and we're seeing a lot of families come out and and just you know be like, okay, let's let's find a home base where we think we can stand so that if this is a reality of how things are gonna go forward, I think different states are really gonna start to do different things. I mean, we are actually seeing that happen, right? That schism. And so hopefully New Hampshire will be this one little free state up in the Northeast. And hopefully, you know, they'll still let the Amtrak run and then you guys can come escape here if you have to.
0: Well, well, I'm definitely going to be there for uh, for Pork Fest. I, awesome! I, owe, I think I owe you two or three Pork fests in a uh, in a row. For those of you who don't know, it's the the Porcupine uh, Festival. Um, and uh, uh, Carla, uh, for those of you watching the video, uh, is Queen Quill. So that um, it's a it's a, she that's the okay kind of monarchy. We're okay with that kind of. Monarchy.
1: <laughs> It's a it's a voluntary monarchy. I didn't pick it. It was it was uh, the crown was heavy as the crown that was placed on my head. Yeah. But for the record, and I, I like to say this because I was like, well, people are like, what are you doing? And I was like, I personally am building my own anarcho crypto monarchy. And people are like, whoa, you don't get to rule over everyone else. And I was like, It's my monarchy, but I'm also a queen who believes in regicide, which means if you think I rule badly, you're allowed to kill me. Now I think incentives matter. And so I am willing to say I will rule with benign neglect and I will not tell anyone else what to do and I think that way that sounds like a pretty good uh you know authoritarian situation if you're gonna have one at all you got a queen but you can kill her if you don't like her
0: that's uh, you know I I I've been going this whole time uh, and I know the truth I know that you can't be killed that's, so that's the uh <laughs> I know that for uh for a fact I you know what I what I love is uh about um you know New Hampshire and especially you know, over the years, and and just like the list of things that, that that you that you brought up, you know, low taxes, good public schools, and all that. Um, I like when it feels like the place that, places um, around the country, different states, are competing for uh, you know people to come and and move there, uh, because uh, having moved out of New York, I mean, what what sort of became clear to me is like, oh, New York doesn't give a shit about me. New York, New York doesn't care about me and not in the old school New York way, you know, where it's like, uh, you know, we don't give a shit, but you know, uh, you can do your own thing here and you, and, and there's the, you know, there, there's a world for you to create of your, you know, for yourself here. It was, oh, we don't give a shit about you. And also anything that you hold sacred or you, or you, uh, actually value, we're going to shit on that too. You know, so, so like if you, for example, if you value, um, and if you value education, right? Uh, New York does have some incredible public schools, especially in specialized schools, magnet programs, and all that. Well, if you value that, well, they're gonna, get, they're getting rid of them, or at least they want to get rid of them. And it's like, it's like, oh my God, everything that I, that I love about this city, you're, you know, you're, you're taking away. So I do like the idea of, There being other places where it's like, hey, we want you here. We want to make this as attractive a place as possible for you to want to move here.
1: And of course, that was the original, you know, founder's idea, right? If, uh, if 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 you believe in federalism, it was supposed to be this massive experiment with 50 states doing different things. And out of that experimentation, we're actually supposed to learn things and be able to discern what's a better approach and a worse approach. And unfortunately, as we sort of trended towards a more um, socialized world, In the sense that you know, taking from one group of people to give to another group of people, um, it's 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 become much more um, monochrome or like similar. And it was that way for a long time, but I think maybe over the past, I think really the gift of COVID, if we have to find a you know silver lining in all of mm. this, is that states actually are starting to be a lot more. These are state rights. Uh, we saw you know different governors respond very very differently over the past two years, and I think uh, we are seeing that trend. You know, people are leaving California in droves. It seems like a lot of them are sort of settling in Texas. Um, I think some of those folks will probably eventually make their way over here. I think what the value proposition of New Hampshire is is you know there are people who have been building this from the ground up for the past almost 20 years, and so you know we have a lot of the organizations and institutions and you know people elected policies that we're bringing in all of that. And so I think New Hampshire is very well situated to to remain this sort of free state in the Northeast. The one challenge is, uh, as you see more socialism, people don't really want outliers because you don't want one place that's like free and prosperous and doing well and booming economically. Maybe it has less debt, maybe it has some money, that kind of stuff. That's actually very dangerous to... Um, you know, to the powers that be. So it's going to be interesting, I think, the, the next couple of years. I mean, who knows what's going to happen. But, um, but you know, here in New Hampshire, we actually have some free staters introduced a uh, secession bill. So uh, there is a bill that will be heard in New Hampshire's State House and Senate that at least has to have a committee hearing. Uh, to talk about whether we could have states' independence. And that's probably just supposed to be an anchor to try and keep everyone a little more accountable to to trend towards freedom. But but who knows? So maybe we will start to see that uh, America becomes either way more states' rights, a lot more state nullification of bad federal laws, or eventually, I think you could see the balkanization and the actual division of of the union.
0: We've been, I've been seeing a lot of uh, national divorce. Yeah, where, where even you know uh, secession has sort of gone away as a as a as a word and national divorce, which um, that sort of tells you something about where where people's minds are because you hear it, you hear it all the all the time. I mean, you know, growing up in in New York, you know. The amount of New Yorkers who, you know, look down on places in the South, you know, and say like, oh, these these hicks and 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 all that. And it's like, well, it sounds like you don't want to be a part of the same uh, of the same country. And in in many ways, I mean, culturally speaking, throughout the country, we are very different. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it's wild when when you bring that up, that that idea automatically, I think people just go. You know, just go back to, well, that, well, that means we're going to have to have war. We're going to have to, you know, be killing each other over it. And, uh, I don't know. I don't think, I don't think we have to do that.
1: <laughs> well, well, no, I don't think so either. I mean, why would you want to uh, using the example of a national divorce? I mean, that's language I've used forever. I've served as the president of the foundation for New Hampshire independence, uh, since 2016, I just sort of handed off the reins to that, to the, uh, to someone else. But you know we've talked about it as a national divorce for a long time, and I think you can take the analogy even farther in the sense that um, you know people will say, "Well, secession was decided back in whenever," and and the court said you can't do that, and I was like. Well, let's parse that out a little bit. So are you saying that um, if I have an abusive partner, which is what the federal government is, they're an abusive partner who can't manage their money, who goes and bullies and hurts, you know, friends and neighbors, often bullies and hurts you. So they're an abusive partner. And you are saying that the abusive partner's friend who works for them, who gets paid by them, is saying you're not allowed to abuse, you're not allowed to divorce your abusive partner says your abusive partner's friend. And I'm like, well, if you parse it out that way, I think we can make a cogent argument, at least, that uh, no, we should be able to divorce um, if if it's not working anymore. and um, And it shouldn't be war. I mean, why would it have to be war? War is so barbaric. It's 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 stupid. It's a waste of uh, obviously human treasure, and um and the only reason there would be war is if literally the federal government was like, I am an abusive partner and I'm not going to let you leave me, uh. Which you know, I think we all frown upon.
0: <laughs> if I can't have you, no right. one else can. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna lock you in your basement. I mean, we saw so much of that. I've seen a lot of that language over the last couple of years, right? Where it's sort of like, well, one, the government's literally just gaslighting us at this stage. Two, I mean, you know, they're they're like, you can't do this, and you gotta do this, and you gotta listen to me, and consent doesn't matter. And and I'm like, all of this sounds pretty bad if you're just looking at it through a lens of what healthy relationships should look like they should not look like whatever the past two years were. And I think it's legit for States to start to say, you know what? No, we're not going to take any more of your crap. And if you make us take more of your crap, we're out of here. I would prefer, if, uh, I don't know, California or Texas goes first so that, you know, if there is any trouble, it happens to someone else, but, uh, <laughs> um, we'll see.
0: We'll see. Uh, what do you think timeline wise? Do you think, uh, uh, how long do you think it might, it might take before we see, you know, the first, the first one to, to go?
1: Well, so it's interesting because someone asked me the other day and, um, and I said, well, we have this bill in, but I'm working on a 10 year plan. And they looked at me and they were like, but what if it passes? And I was like, Oh, well, then I'm going to have to move up my 10-year plan pretty quickly. Um, I don't think we're really ready. But of course, you know, if you look at something like Brexit, uh, there wasn't a war there. It was a majority decision for those folks who think democracy is good and mob rule is the way to live. Um, then, you know, we know you can do it um, and there are steps, but, you know, there are a lot of steps between here and there, um, making sure that, you know, you can take care of the residents in your state. But a lot of, you know, a lot of people retire in places like Mexico and other countries, and I think we could just create a dual citizenship kind of model. I don't think it needs to be this hard. I think it's just an issue of persuading people. So I'm working on 10 years. It may be faster. It may be shorter. It may be longer. Given what happened genuinely over the last couple of years, I don't think we could predict anything.
0: anymore. Oh, 100%. And, you know, I, I look back, you know, when we first met, we probably like maybe close to 15, 14 years ago. And, uh, you know, seeing everything that's happened, not only in my own life, but, you know, in the world since then, it's like, thank God things aren't limited to to the limits of my imagination about what's possible and and, and what can happen. Because, um, when you bring Although up-
1: your imagination is pretty limitless. <laughs> if I had to live in a world and in a head, yours wouldn't be the worst. <laughs> oh,
0: thank you so much. Thank you so much. When, uh, when you bring up uh, Brexit, I, one of the things that I think about is, um, uh, you know, obviously I think it was like the Brexit vote had like over 17 million or some, something like that. And almost immediately, I mean, even I think even before the, um, the votes were cast, you had the EU making all these threats. Like, if you leave, we are going to punish you. We're going to punish you in uh, in this way and that way, especially economically, we are going to punish you. And, uh, you know, over the years, as I've, uh, you know, become... More and more libertarian, and over the past year or so, I think I'm I'm, I'm going the anarchist, ancap uh, route. So those of you who are listening, uh, if you want to use the word Lou Perez is a radical, fine, go go for it.
1: Uh, <laughs> I believe cool that's way, radical right. extremists.
0: Yes, I'm a ra- I am a radical extremist. Of uh, I, I used to love voluntarist. I, I think that that was a really um, that that's a really nice way of putting it. But um, I, I bring that up because for me, over over the over the past few years, it's sort of like well, well, if what you were, if what you had going for you was so great, why would you have to threaten? Why wouldn't you say like, "Hey, you're going to be missing out because we're going to be doing some amazing things"? But maybe there's a way that we can find uh, to to work with one another, as opposed to, you know, this. We are going we are going to make you regret ever even thinking about this. And I think so much of um, of what's what's happening in our country just seems like. Uh, rather than uh, whether it's, you know, politicians uh, or what have you saying, uh, trying to persuade you and saying like, look, this is some, what we have going on is so great. We want you a part of it. It's more of just punishing. It's just, how can we punish you and how can we get you to submit to whatever, uh, you know, whatever we're pushing this day of the week.
1: Um, Right. And it's back to that abuse, but it's also, I mean, if you think about it, one of the things that genuinely frustrates Frustrates me these days is how negative people are about the best quality of living the entire world and planet has ever had. I think it's per Berlin Byland or something. Uh, Anyway, it's an economist from uh, Sweden. I think he is, and he he always says, you know, poverty is the natural state of man. Right. So if we're not dying in poverty we're already like doing so much better than everything and there's this narrative now in america where everyone just talks about how crappy it is but i'm really more of the mindset that it's amazing and we could just make everything more amazing so people need to really start to shift i think their mindset both from this sort of victim mentality which has almost become a disease i think the last two years is really, really, really done us an incredible amount of harm, just in terms of of, um, people's own mental health. And so, um, you know, one of the things I did over the last five years from when I quit drinking, I also switched my diet, you know, we got healthy. Um, So that really felt like it empowered me to face these challenges in a different way. And I think we're really going to have to shift the zeitgeist and and the way people think away from this diseased way of thinking and mm-hmm. this negative America and all of that, and really start to think about all the opportunities we have, how amazing things really are, how fortunate given everything that's been going on, you know, we, we really truly are. And, um, I forget why I started rambling about this, but I did want to make sure we talk a little bit about, you know, not just their negativity, right. And them telling us how awful things are, but also thinking about, you know, seizing the opportunities and, and really appreciating truly how fortunate people in America yeah. are.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I agree 100%. I, uh, years back, I, I labeled them those people like that doom and gloom pussies, <laughs> where it's just, everything is just doom and gloom. And it, you can just, it's like a, you know, uh, uh, SNL had a, had a sketch, uh, Debbie Downer, where she would just find a way to bring down everything. And uh, I remember, uh, it was not too long ago, I read this piece, I don't know if it was in the New Yorker, but it was about a woman who uh, uh, was becoming a mother and she was so afraid of the future of, for her child. And she was, you know, almost on that, you know, on that precipice of, uh, you know, do I keep the child because look at the world that they're going to be, uh, you know, coming up in. And part of the story that she tells is about being in California during the wildfires, how scary that was. And it's like the, the earth is on fire. The planet is on fire. And I remember reading that because I had my, my son at the same time at, at around the same time. And then, uh, uh, our newborn, uh, uh, almost two months ago. And I was thinking, wait a minute, you chose to go to the state with the wildfires. And now you're complaining about wildfires. What do you, what's wrong with you? You can go to New Hampshire where there aren't wildfire. At least I haven't heard of one, at least not at the, the scale of California. You can go to, uh, a You know, it's like going to a to a desert, which California is in parts and complaining that, oh, there's like no water. here. It's like, well, well, yeah, well, why did you go there? There are all these different places where you can go and have a an amazing existence without worrying about that stuff. And yet you choose to go there and then you craft the narrative about how can I bring my child into this world? Well, You're literally bringing your child to that world.
1: Well, yeah. And also, you know, California, again, you know, the market there is so distorted that uh, one of the things that happened there is is private insurance companies finally are like, we're not actually going to let you guys build here anymore. They're not willing to insure certain areas right so these people and john stossel wrote about this years and years ago i think it was like he he was half joking where he said you know he owns a property in a hurricane thing and every 10 years, the house gets devastated and then the federal government gives him more money and he builds another house. Right. Like Mm -hmm. this is how the rich people roll. And so, yeah, there's this sort of thing where we've distorted the markets to such an extent that that um, people can put themselves in these sort of dangerous situations where, like you're saying, well, you know, if you don't want to be in wildfires, maybe don't build your house in a known wildfire uh, stretch, you know, I mean at this stage it can't be a surprise if someone you know is gonna complain about earthquakes in California, well, you know we have a heads up about these things, so I mean, I think the sad part is is we're breaking people's brains with this mm-hmm. negativity, right, because I think one of the sad saddest things that we've seen come out of the past two years is. Uh, this this fear forward model, right? So they figured out that we, you know, that they can they they can snag our attention, and they've taken our attention, and they've just basically dialed up people's amyglias in a way where it's the fight or flight part of your brain, and they've activated that to such an extent that I honestly believe the average person who is consuming a lot of legacy news can actually not think anymore. And I, I'm not saying that lightly. I think they're in such a controllable state because of the constant propaganda, because of the constant messaging. And I can say, you know, uh, this will sound cruel, but, you know, my folks were um, watching CNN the whole time and they had the TV on the whole time. and, and, and They were just losing the plot entirely. And my sister and I were like, how can we improve their quality of living? And we were like, we're going to stop the cable. Mm -hmm. And my mother has made a remarkable turnaround. She's laughing again. She's joking. Like, it really has changed her to not have that permanent influx of this constant messaging of negativity. I mean, these people who keep saying that they um, don't wanna bring children into the world when it is, again, the best it's ever been. And these environmental people, I'm like, but go look, they've been saying this since, I mean, they've been saying it forever, depending on how far back you wanna go, but at least since the 70s, the world is supposed to have ended at least five times because right. of environmental crises. And you know what? The sea level still hasn't risen.
0: I, um, th- this reminds me of uh, some years back when uh, I was making videos, making fun of like trigger warnings and uh, safe spaces and, and that sort of thing. And I remember being at, at an event and a, uh, a college student came up to me and, and challenged me about, uh, about trigger warnings uh, in particular. And look, I was making sketch comedy about it. Right. So obviously I was going ap- after the stuff and trying to find the gag there. Um, but then after, after talking to her and thinking about it, you know, one of the things that became clear is that for a lot of young people, unfortunately they don't feel safe. And and they don't feel safe in a number of different ways they don't feel safe with ideas that make them uncomfortable and that is not going to have no good is going to come out of that you know for them and then uh you know recently i was uh, uh working with a friend on a on a project doing some sort of man on the street interviews and i interviewed a, a few um uh, a couple uh, students from NYU one of the kids was 19. I think the other one might have been 20. And uh, I did these interviews outside, sort of ran- you know, randomly, anyone who would talk to me. It was really hard getting people to talk to me. It was freezing out. Uh, it snowed at one point. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, God, this is, well, what a bad idea. Well, I'm trying to do this today. But the two guys who talked to me, both of these kids uh, were double vaxxed. So they both had, had their, their vaccinations. And they were both wearing masks outside, right? And they weren't wearing masks outside because it was cold. They were wearing masks outside because they saw it as their duty to wear masks outside and to be safe. And I asked them, like, well, how often do you, you know, do you wear the masks? And both of them said, uh, once they leave their dorm, their masks are on. So you have these two young men who were both vaccinated, wearing masks. For most of the day even outside and it's like i can't imagine you know for one i can't imagine being 19 again because that would just be that would <laughs> i be can't
1: something. my tits would be up here
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, hey carla look it's a family show you know you gotta you gotta put them down uh but sort of like this 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 safetyism this oh you know this over cautiousness in almost every single, uh, in every single facet. And then viewing anybody who you disagree with as your fucking enemy enemy, as your enemy. I mean, th- that, that can't, that can't feel good. I mean, that just can't do you, uh, any good. I, if I was, if, if every, and this is how it was in Brooklyn for me, every time I walked out of my apartment, I was ready for a, for a fight, a either, rumble, e- yeah. either with a, either with some asshole homeless guy or some asshole neighbor or whatever. And like being away from that is just, I'm like, thank God, I don't actually have enemies. <laughs> At least, whoa, whoa. At least, maybe, maybe that just, uh, that was just telling Someone's me no, trying to ship
1: that. you from behind there. Yeah, yeah. But you know, part of that, Lou, I think is just uh, the lack of critical thinking. and And I do blame the public schools for that. Um, I watched a documentary the other day, and they were interviewing a lot of, uh, they were mostly high school students, and it had to do, it might even have been the social dilemma, although I'm not, no, I I don't know. Anyway, it was something about uh, social media usage and teenagers, and it was so odd to me. So two things, like they would actually have the kids, let's say like five or six teenagers, high schoolers, in a room together, and they were all talking to each other on the phone. Like, they're in the room, but no one's looking at each other. They're Mm -hmm. just all texting each other. And then the interviewer actually, you know, the girls were talking about how dangerous the world is. And the the documentary filmmaker actually inserted herself from off camera, and she said to them, but you know that's not true, right? The world has become remarkably measurably safer over the past 30 years. And the kids were just like, no, they are, they seemed at least convinced that like, if they were going to walk to, I don't know, the school bus without parental, like they have this notion, everyone's going to get, you know, raped and kidnapped if they are outside and, and just this really notion that that there's this dangerous world. And again, I blame the media. You know, if it bleeds, it leads. Uh, we're just inundated with, with the worst of everything. If you actually think about the world we've created in terms of having too many laws and regulations, it's because we write these laws to to try and deal with something that's usually like a really extreme outlier, like a really, really bad thing happened. Cause let's say like some drunk guy, you know, uh, uh, was in a car accident and killed a mother with who was pregnant. Right. And now we got to deal with that. Now you make that your anchor, but I'll use a different example. I remember when we just moved to, to, to America, I uh, was up all night, you can decide why that might have been, but Uh I was watching the sun come up over Dolores Park, as one used to do in the 90s, Um, and there was a playground, and I, I was excited, and I went over to the playground, and I saw there was a sign that said, no unaccompanied adults without a child. And I was, I was like, ha-ha, look how stupid they are. They got the sign wrong. They obviously mean no un- unaccompanied child right. without a parent, right? And the friends I were with were all like, oh, you sweet little immigrant. No, you don't understand. They literally mean if you're a grown-up, you're a pedophile, so you're not allowed to play in the park. And I was like, so you're you're so what you're putting out in the universe is you're not allowed to be an adult and go play on the swings like a child, which would be a really actually healthy sentiment and thing to do. Right. Play is a very important part of balanced living. And and I was just like, so so literally we've made a law that says if you want to play on a swing in America, you're a pedophile. And I was like. That seems a little extreme. Now, I understand there are pedophiles, but you can't treat everyone in society like they're a bad guy. And because we have made government too big, that's actually what we've done, right? Like we are trying to prevent the worst things from happening. So we write these laws and we put the anchor there. And then what people think is instead of thinking, here's the lane, everyone starts to go, Okay, so I guess the line's over there. So we're all just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse till we're close to, we'll call it the pedo line for the sake of this conversation, right? So that should be the outlier. But when you draw the line there, everyone starts to move their behavior towards the outlying line. And I think that's where we are with safetyism as well, is people have just decided the world's this, this extremely dangerous place but the reality is, it's not. The world has become much safer, and we should be so much happier. I don't understand why the entire world is so miserable. Everyone needs to eat more bacon. Maybe that's what's wrong with the world.
0: Um. So uh, yeah, how would you describe uh, uh, you know, your your diet? Are you paleo? Are you keto? What do you what do you do?
1: Yeah. So I mean, i I'm low carb, medium protein, high good fats, right? Um, I, 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 It's paleo, it's keto. It's also Christmas time. There may have been a pie or two I shouldn't have eaten. I think there's this uh, one woman who hates me who is, may have even put a hex on me. So I was like, I don't know why I gained like four pounds and I cannot shake. And I was like, damn it, did she put a fat spell on me? <laughs> but yeah, I... Um, I would say I'm keto. I have been doing it for a long time, but about five years ago, I got really serious about it. Um, I actually had personally, uh, you know, because we, we were both at City College. I don't even know if you know this story, but when I left, so one of the things I, I was kind of, uh, I guess, anti-vax at that stage already, right? Like I was just like, eh, I don't really want to do this. I don't feel like I need to. As an immigrant, you're You're vaccinated a lot. But City College had a policy that said you have to prove that you had an MMR vaccine, the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine. And I didn't want to get it because I knew I'd gotten it when I immigrated, but I couldn't find the paperwork. So I went through the whole program, and I never got it. And I thought, oh, I'm so clever. I gamed the system. And then we were leaving for New Hampshire. So this must have been January-ish, 2008. And I actually went because I knew I wasn't going to go to graduation. I went to pick up my degree. And when I got there, they were like, oh, we see in our records, you never uh, showed us your proof of MMR vaccination. And I was like, yeah, I know, but, you know, it's the the program's over. I've gotten my degree. We're all done. I didn't give anyone measles, mumps or rubella in my time here. So we're good, right? And they were like, "No, we refuse to issue the degree unless you bring us proof." And I was just kind of in a catch twenty two. We were moving soon. I was pressed for time, and I was like, "Ah, f- how how bad can it be? I'll get it." I will tell you, I never had allergies before that I moved to New Hampshire. I suddenly had allergies. I gained a lot of weight. I got arth- you know rheumatoid arthritis. I had a lot of autoimmune issues. And I understand causation is not a correlation, all of those things, but I will tell you, I can't really put my finger on something else. So I feel for me at least, and this is just my personal experience, that switching to a healthy diet, getting rid of sugar, sugar is in everything, wheat is in everything, I blame the FDA, the food permit is junk, um, wheat and uh, soy and sugar subsidies, the government has created this obesity crisis. We know that COVID affected the obese and people with diabetes the most. That means that we need to, as people, Get healthy. So when people are like clamoring for health care and universal health care and wear your mask to keep me healthy and all of that, I'm like, but then in return, I'm going to ask you that you need to get healthy because I can tell you the chain smoking fatty who told me to put my mask on can go... well. <laughs> It's a family show. It's, so a fam- you yeah. know. <laughs>
0: it's a family show. I watch this with my children. Um, well, I remember, um, so, uh, I, uh, we, we talked before I, I am vaxxed. Um, when I came up, uh, to, uh, to do a show in, in New Hampshire, it, uh, it was a, it was such a, it was such a blast. Um, I, uh, nobody there had COVID as far as I know, I didn't get rubella or mumps or measles or anything like that. So I appreciate that. Uh, Rubella, mumps, and measles stay. What happens in New Hampshire in New Hampshire. Um, but, but you know, as you know, I'm 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 vaccinated, and I uh, when they first came out, you know, uh, for one, I was I was waiting for my parents to be able to get it because that was important for them, and then I was waiting so I can get it so I could be around my parents or feel comfortable being around my parents, and then there were all these different uh, you know categories of people who were you know who were next in line right? So before I was allowed to get it, it was like, oh, if you're a smoker, you're allowed to get it. And I was like, what the, f- what the hell, what are you talking about? Why, you know, you know, <laughs> it's like, here I am not smoking, trying to, you know, uh, to lose weight, not to put on COVID pounds. And then these are the people who are getting it uh, ahead of me. Um, and a well, while, well, yeah,
1: so in- incentives matter, right? Is the yeah. bottom line. And so what we've done is we've actually created a system where the incentives support bad behavior. The worse healthy you are, the more unhealthy you are, the more diseased you are. the the, the I mean, I'm not sure if the jab's a reward. You know, time will tell. But, um, uh, you know, and, and I think it probably works differently for different people. I mean, I do know that, you know, both my parents also got vaccinated and they both had uh, adverse reactions. And so maybe it's just something in you know the generic blood that's just like yeah no <laughs> we don't want your stuff
0: <laughs> yeah and i think that that that's important too to be able to just have honest conversations about it and i'm sort of in the i'm in the position where i guess uh you know people are just so used to you know just this dichotomy where it's like either you're vaccinated or you're anti-vax and and they don't know what to do with people like me so I'm like yeah I'm vaccinated and I want to know if if, if it has affected people, um, you know, if it's had adverse effects on people, because I think people have the right to know that. Um, and well, yeah,
1: I just don't think where we are currently has anything to do with uh, medical ethics. I don't think we are, I don't think you could have this kind of uh, radical human experiment because that is what is going on. We are in clinical human trials with an emergency authorized uh, new gene therapy. So I mean, it's all new, right? And um, and I don't think I I personally would have been more comfortable with the entire situation if we weren't censoring half the conversation, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not pro or anti anything. All I am is I'm I, I'm I'm curious. And I'm inquisitive and I want to get as much information as possible to be able to make informed consents. Well, we are not we are not currently in a situation where there is any kind of informed consent. And I think and I would actually like I would serve on a tribunal for this. Currently, I believe Fauci is violating the Nuremberg Code and that man should be fired and probably thrown in jail.
0: Wow. Well, on him, I, I, you know, just even from like a PR standpoint, I mean, he's become such a divisive person you would think it would behoove, you know, uh, you know, those in in positions of authority to have him take a step back and bring somebody else up. I mean, it seems like every time, uh, every time he says something, it's just, you know, he's upsetting, upsetting more people and all that.
1: Well, you would think that. But of course, he is the highest paid federal employee in America. So I posit and I'm willing to support this. I do not think you rise to the top of the federal government without being absolute corrupt scum. And we know he is um, he is. uh, Sorry, your entire episode is about to get. What are you on? <laughs> no, 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 I
0: was actually, actually going to say that here. we are talking about like you know things uh, being censored and 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 all that. No, it's yeah, just fine. and
1: and, and yeah. well, you you know you say that, but I've had like three or four of my rinky dink you know public access shows are being taken off YouTube for for talking about these things. I mean, I don't think it's it's as innocent as people say. You know, I was interviewed for my book, which we should not neglect yeah. to talk
0: about, and I, and I have mine as well. Awesome.
1: Um, I was and interviewed on pl- book.
0: Let's plug it right now. We'll plug it on it <laughs> yes. Is the Ecstatic the Pessimist. Pessimist.
1: Stories of Hope, mostly. Um, it is a collection of essays and short stories. The short stories Lou all read at. uh, My MFA program. So I'm sure that was a little uh, step down memory lane. But it also actually contains 13 essays about the Free State Project and sort of the activism I've done over the years. I mean, I've been involved in so many things, including a landmark First Amendment lawsuit against police officers that now applies to 13 million people in the first circuit. You can film police officers if they confiscate your camera, take your footage or do anything of that sort, you can sue them. That lawsuit will be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. They're not entitled to qualified immunity, which means you can sue them in their personal capacity. And I like to say all of those things so that anyone who ever sees any kind of police interaction, I highly encourage people to film it. Don't get involved. Don't mess. Just be a witness. But if you can, the technology exists now. And the more we can know what they're doing, the more we can hold them accountable. Accountability leads to reform. We can't fix anything if we can't show there's a problem. And we've seen that with the police brutality over these years. Ten years ago, those cases would not come to trial because the cops would lie and everyone would believe them. But now we have it on film that, you know, they will kneel on your neck till you're dead. And so it's really, really important. And I'm really proud of that lawsuit. And that's actually the next book I'm working on right now awesome. is to tell that story.
0: Awesome. Uh, Carla, uh, one of the great things uh, about having you as a friend is that I know this isn't the last time we're going to speak. Uh, we have a lot more uh a lot more conversations to have, and uh, one of the best uh, things that happened this year is I got to uh, spend time with Carla at Freedom Fest in South Dakota. It was my first time in South Dakota, and we—do you remember the the name of that Thai restaurant that we ate at?
1: No, but it was so good. Like Lou and I were like, oh my God, we found like the best Thai restaurant not in Thailand. And I've been to Thailand. I went to Thai cooking schools. Like I legit can say this. That food was bananas. And I don't know if I told you this, but remember it was so good. I texted one of my board members who was also at the conference. And I was like, hey, if you guys are here for another day go, go eat here. Mm-hmm. And he texted me. I got it when I got off the plane and he was like, oh my God, we just ate there. Those are the best chicken wings in the world.
0: Yeah. It's one, it's one of those spots. It, it's uh, it was in like a strip mall, just sort of in the middle, just off a main road and, and all that. And, uh, and it was great. Um, uh, Carla Garrick, um, her book is the ecstatic pessimist. Um, stories of hope, mostly uh, available on Amazon. I think that's where I got my copy uh, off of uh, Amazon. And uh, she is the most interesting person in the world, uh, not just the most interesting woman in the world. And uh, Carla, thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, to hang.
1: It's my pleasure. Have me back anytime. I love you.
0: Cool. Love you too. Thank you so much for watching and or listening to my podcast. If you'd like to support my work, please head over to theluperez.locals.com and join the Lou Perez community. And another way to support me is by supporting my sponsors, Black Organic Cold Brew. Head over to www.blbck.com dot use promo code Lou for free shipping. And if you're into CBD products, please check out Paloma Verde CBD.com. Use promo code Lou for 25% off purchases over $75. All right. Bye.